G'day, my name is Margie Thorpe. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 8.55 on your dial. Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's a people's voice committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy, and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national, and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Good morning, listeners. You're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, and on the line, we have myself, Jacob, and Zane. Hello. Yeah, so I um, guess before we, what we, um, before we announce what's coming up on the program, um, I'd like to acknowledge that FreeCR today is being broadcast to you from the wandering land of the Kulin Nation. Um, I'd like to pay our respect um, to elders past and present and that this always was, always will be Aboriginal land and um, the fight for decolonisation, Aboriginal sovereignty still goes on, especially in the context of the Jabberon um, tent embassy, um, which is still ongoing. Um, it's um, it's quite amazing that actually only a few weeks ago um, it was pretty much at risk of being evicted. I mean that still that risk still exists, but the fact that they're still going on and still going quite strong is fantastic, and I think reflective of you know the movement that has sort of developed around it. I think the only thing that really is um, coming between. Um, those sacred trees being bulldozed is ordinary people like us um, standing up and um, and with the um, the local indigenous community. Yeah, so um, there is actually going to be a rally um, for that um, at Tuesday morning at outside Parliament House. So yeah, at eight thirty a.m. So I highly encourage you to mobilise for that if you can. Although if you're able to visit the um, the, um, the the tree and the embassy, uh, we encourage we encourage you to visit that do that too. <coughs> All right. Now, I guess in terms of what we have um, coming up on our program, 
Um, to um, our first, we're going to be playing a recording. Um, I think it's a conversation between Aaron McNagdam around the whole federal court case um, around, around in Priya and uh, Nadia, uh, Nadia, the Australian family that is facing deportation, who are currently on held on Christmas Island at the moment. Um, and then at 7:45 um, p.m., we'll be having an interview with um, Hassan, who is part of Justice for Refugees. And then at 8:10 a.m., um, we'll be having an interview with. I uh, actually need to get actually her name again. I've forgot off name, but she is um, a West Saharan activist who is currently touring Australia right now. And um, her name and Tekba, her name is Tekba Admint, um, and we'll be um, talking to her about the whole political situation that's currently unfolding um, in West Sahara. So yeah, we have quite a big program lined up, um, and I guess maybe we can start off the program by talking a bit about some of the headline news that's currently dominating the headlines. I mean, one of the main things that's been dominating the headlines is, which always seems to be happening every week, is the current political situation, um, is the sort of, um, the whole political situation in Britain um, and how it's basically collapsing, or the country is, in in. So, um, and I think the current developments is there is a push for a general election in October, but due to all sorts of weird kind of shenanigans related to Boris Johnson, the divided, uh, the divisions in the Tories, possibly also the divisions in the Liberal Democrats and the other political parties, there isn't a general election coming up at this point, but there might, but it's looking like it's going to happen at some stage because the government is pretty much in crisis and it's and it's all and they can't govern yeah so i was listening to some coverage of this yesterday and it sounds like johnson wants to sort of lock in brexit and then have an election as that sort of i don't know how it's supposed to work like you'd, you'd have this election and then regardless of who wins kind of like the next day brexit happens no deal brexit so uh, I think uh, Corbyn was opposing this proposal for an election on that basis, saying, comparing it to the uh, the poisoned apple out of uh, Snow White and saying, this proposal for an election doesn't actually provide a way forward or a solution. It's just locking in an election, which is sort of window dressing on a locking in Brexit. Well, it basically puts any political party um, that is likely to be elected in a very sort of awkward position, especially since um, their constituents or their support base might not necessarily be for the no-deal Brexit. Um, And in fact, um, one of the, the complicated issues, I guess, with Brexit has been that for, say, Corbyn, his support base is actually completely divided on the question of, of Brexit. And mm. as I've sort of mentioned a number of times, um, the Liberal Democrats are kind of pushing for this, um, almost this this line of um, that, you know, we need to stay in the European Union because we want everything to be like the status quo um, when it comes to the European Union. So they, they have pretty much don't have a perspective of being critical of the European Union, whereas Corbyn, to his credit, does. And, in fact, Corbyn would actually probably, you know, in a per- his personal position is he probably would want to leave the European Union because on the basis that it is a neoliberal 
sort of economic institution. Um, but I guess the problem is when the debate, um, when the political debate, and this has been the issue of why as a, you know, a radical left wing person, I've, I supported the remain position. The whole, the whole Brexit campaign was pushed entirely by the right and yeah. the far right. And it was um, all about keep the brown people out. Yeah, it was all about keep that. It wasn't about freeing, it wasn't about breaking away from neoliberalism or yeah. wasn't breaking away from the bureaucracy of the European Union. It was about simply about how we can strengthen our borders and strengthen the British imperial state. Hmm. Um, and it, yeah, and I think that that context is all important, and that's that's the most compelling position that I, or analysis that I've seen of this is to say, yeah, you, even if you wanted a left Brexit, that needs to be built on its own terms, not tacked on the back of this racist thing that was originally sort of emerged from Nigel Farage and the UKIP. Hmm. Yeah, and um, Nigel Farage's party, um, which he's formed a new party since then, which is called the Brexit Party, um, he's he's essentially formed a sort of united front with a lot of people who are basically disaffected with Brexit. So even like the likes of George Galloway, although he, he uh, is behind this Brexit Party, which is sheesh. Uh, which just sort of just goes probably more how far he's gone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then, get it together, and, George. Bloody hell. Yeah, and then there's um yeah, so that's that's okay. I guess the current kind of political situation as it stands in Britain, and it's all very messy, and um we don't know where it's going to go. I'm hoping that it, I think the best hope we can have is that there is a general election, um, but Boris is just going to play lots of games until it gets to that point. Yeah, well, the other analysis I've heard is that uh, Boris Johnson is the first uh, British Prime Minister in history to lose his first three parliamentary votes, to get rolled on his first three parliamentary votes in a row. So it's kind of, at a certain point, how many votes on the parliament floor can Boris Johnson lose before his position as Prime Minister becomes untenable? So it's kind of like, yeah, there's there's a lot that's leading towards those new elections. Hmm. Yeah, All right, we just might play just a quick few announcements, and we might play this audio, um, which I'll just give an introduction to shortly after announcement. Red Alert. Numbers are needed at the Japarung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japarung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarung traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarung country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. Six years I've been in Tasha. Be 
Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here with uh, Aboriginal Radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 Right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, it's 7.13 a.m. And um, we're going to just play a recording um, of um, basically, I think it's, uh, pretty sure it's a series of speeches, um, one of them being from Aaron, um, outside the federal court. Um, and this is at the, pro, at the protest outside the federal court um, in support of the um, Prieta and Nades. Um, the Sri Lankan family that is currently facing um, deportation um, by um, by the, our government, and um, currently there is actually their court injunction has actually been delayed until this Friday. Um, so they it's gone from being delayed from last Friday to till Wednesday, and now it's gone all the way till this Friday. Um, so the well, t- which is today, <laughs> yeah. And um, the pro- there's going to be a protest actually outside shortly after this program has finished at 9am outside the federal court. So if you are in the city, I highly encourage you to get down there at 9am uh, outside the federal court, which is just right next to um, Flagstaff, Flagstaff Station on um, at William Street. So, yeah, we'll just um, play this 10-minute um, kind of recording from, from the last court. Um, federal court protest which happened on Wednesday. We're calling on our Prime Minister to let this family stay here. He's the one who can have the final say to let this family stay here. This, This case is just being dragged on for so long. So much money is being wasted uh, just to uh, force this family to go back to Sri Lanka. There are thousands of Australians who want this uh, family to be back in Villa Villa. Angela Fredericks, who has been advocating uh, for this family, is currently on Christmas Island. Um, the whole of Villa Villa is nervously waiting for, uh, for a positive outcome. We're begging on Prime Minister Morrison, we're begging Peter Dutton and uh, uh, David Coleman to let this family stay here. Uh, Tamils in Sri Lanka um, 
face dangerous uh, future. Uh, the things, things for uh, Tamils in Sri Lanka is, uh, is, is uh, the, the current situation in Sri Lanka is unstable. Uh, we know there is a military occupation in the north and east of Sri Lanka. Uh, the, the man who oversaw the, the killings in 2009, Godavai Rajavaksha, he's a favorite to win the presidential election. The head of Sri Lankan army now is a, is a well-known uh, war criminal. We shouldn't be sending this family to Sri Lanka. Bilobula want this family back, back there. A lot of regional Queenslanders want this family back there. We beg the government to let this family stay here. We, we're not asking anything more. Just let Piria Nades and the two children stay in Australia. The, the two children were born here. They have their friends in this community. Uh, they, you know, they have their support network uh, in, in, in Australia. They, Sri Lanka is a foreign country to them. You know, I myself have a three-year-old daughter, you know, and it's, it's been quite emotional to see the two children being dragged and dragged by our government to various different places. Just let this family stay here. We beg our government to let this family stay here. You know, there are so many Tamils in Australia with so many different experiences at the hands of the Sri Lankan state. I came here as a refugee. I witnessed my own brother being cut in half by the Sri Lankan state. Piria came to this country after witnessing her fiancé being burnt alive by the Sri Lankan army. You know, even if everything is fine for Tamils in Sri Lanka, with this memory we can't go back. You can't expect us to go back and live a normal life with people who have murdered our people. Please let Piria Nades and the two children stay in Australia. We call on Prime Minister Morrison to intervene. We call on fellow Australians to support our campaign. Call, you know, make a call to the Prime Minister's office. Make a call to uh, Coleman's office and, and, and ask them to let this family stay here. Thank you. Questions? Karen, do you consider this a win for the campaign or what do you put today down to? Well, it's, it's a nervous time for us. We want this to be over. Uh, the, the longer it drags on, uh, it has an Im a negative impact on uh, the family as well. Uh, the family has to some, go through so much suffering uh, when this uh, thing is prolonged. Uh, so we're hoping there will be a positive outcome and we're hoping uh, this family will be allowed to stay here. How confident are you today that the judge has asked for extra time to consider the case given the incidents that have occurred overnight? I, I will let the lawyers uh, uh, talk about that. I, I'm not exactly sure uh, what this outcome means. Aaron, what would happen to this family if we go back to Sri Lanka is a very dangerous place for Tamils. There, there is a military uh, occupation in the north and east of Sri Lanka. And we know from various human rights uh, groups that Sri Lanka still practices torture. The United Nations came out last year and said uh, Sri Lanka still practicing torture. Uh, the, the people who murdered thousands of Tamils in 2009, they're still in power. 
so nothing has changed for Tamils in Sri Lanka. But the reason why, you know, we want this family to stay here, this family is is in many ways unique. And you know, there are thousands of uh, regional Queenslanders want this family to stay here. And you know, and you know, we're asking our government to let this family stay here for for the for for the main reason, which is. Many Australians want them to stay here. But why this family, when other Tamil people have been sent back, why this family? Why this family so special? As a member of Tamil Refugee Council, every time Tamils were forcibly sent back to Sri Lanka, we have spoken out. This family enjoyed a lot of support from the the people of Bilabila, um, and um, I guess. You know, this family's uh, treatment is, is, is the tipping point uh, for many Australians. There has been many other people treated badly as well, but this just triggered uh, mass support. You know, a lot of Australians are fed up with the way our government is treating refugees. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you. Karina's no, got time for limited questions, yeah. so just leave five minutes. Thank you. Um, Still the morning. Good morning, everyone. There's not much that I can talk about today due to what's happened this morning. Obviously, it's probably already out there that we do have a further injunction till 4 p.m. on Friday. That is a result of the Minister Coleman actually making a decision not to refer, to not consider the matter for a lifting of the bar of Section 46A of the Migration Act. We have only um, had short time to consider the issues and obviously we need to think about the next way that we will progress the matter. Other than that, there's really nothing more that I can add. But Karina, is, it, just is, in is, terms of is the family now closer to staying here? What happened this morning? We're still, we're still in uncertain territory, but I guess the fight is not over yet. Karina, yeah. in terms of the assessment and, and what we heard in court, it, the assessment which was made yesterday, um, your understanding by the Minister, was that assessment not to consider a protection visa for the two-year-old or was it not to uh, use his ministerial powers to consider the case? No. One of the issues that was raised in court today is whether or not the assessment that an assessment was undertaken to determine her international obligations. That is, based on our knowledge, the first time we had heard that assessment had not been undertaken and generally speaking you normally would get a chance to respond on that issue and we have not yet had a response and that's one of the issues we need to look at. Will you be getting that assessment document today? Uh, we will be putting in a request for those documents and obviously hope that they will be received today or by tomorrow, noting that we're back here on Friday. How surprised are you that you're working for the Spanish Korea and the fact that you've had these online developments? Not necessarily surprised given the position and also what's been going on over the whole week. So, I mean, this does sometimes happen. Decisions can be made quickly. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that the case is over, it just means potentially it's got to be run in a different way. Is it, is it clear where the department assists and projected I can't comment on that yet. I haven't had a really detailed chance to have a look at the documentation yet. I've really only heard what the How is the family holding up? Have you spoken to them this morning? I spoke to them last night. Um, I haven't spoken to them morning because I've effectively been working on this case since 5am this morning but um, last night 
they understood what was going on as well as they can. It's extremely complex, as we all know, and we'll, um, they remain relatively distressed, um, but understand what's been done at this end. Yeah. I don't want to really get into details about the conditions. We're all aware they obviously are isolated in terms of being at Christmas Island, but they are being fed, clothed, etc. Um, but it is a sort of still a detention type atmosphere. And as we've mentioned before, it's not necessarily ideal, in, particularly I think in time difference as well. But that's probably one of the issues that we can't focus as much on also do need to focus on the legal case at hand. Could you explain the citizenship? or quantify how much of a blow it is for the department to make that assessment to get to the other I can't comment on that yet. Could you explain the citizenship claim that's... Wait, wait. I'll take your... Because I know you weren't next and then I'll take your question. Could you explain the citizenship claim that's coming overnight for the two children? I don't want to go into much detail yet, but we did send a citizenship application yesterday to the department based on what we felt may be a claim in relation to that. Given the decision came in last night, are you worried that it was rushed? That's something that we're looking at, obviously, because when a decision is made quickly, it's one of the things that, as lawyers and barristers, we look at to see to make sure that the correct procedure was followed. So you say that it was done for political agenda as opposed to the I can't comment on that. I don't want to get into that. We'll just take one more question. Thanks. Is there any other questions? Okay. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, that was a recording of um, of some conversations um, between with Aaron um, Gragdam from the Tamil Refugee Council, and I think some and lawyers that are currently handling um, who are part of the Priya Nade's case. Um, so mm. yeah, that was interesting. The tail end of that interview, where they're applying for uh, citizenship for the kids. I'm a, I don't know the laws around these things, but I would have thought that if the kids were born in Australia, they were automatically Australian citizens. Yeah. Well, yeah, I imagine they would be. I think that's been one of the, one of the issues, um, because by definition they should be Australian citizens, but then because their parents are not, um, and then there's this, well, it's good that the government is so humane that they don't want to separate the parents from their children because I guess in a rational border force, the logic of the border force, yes, they, they, they should be separated because the, the children are citizens of Australia while the parents are not officially citizens, which I think just shows, I think, the inhumaneness of this whole border force kind of regime and mm. why it should just be completely abolished, um, why I think these the sort of division of borders is just nonsense and it's only really just used by the people in power to stir up essentially racism, hmm. um, you know, to and and so on. So it's like, I mean, if, if um, Peter Dutton um, refusing to... Because basically one, one of the things that's happened is um, as this case is heating up and um, there's a groundswell of popular support, including from people who 
wouldn't typically be known for supporting refugee rights mm, have, all come, Jones. have all come behind this family, I think is indicative that the movement is actually winning, but the government is also refusing to budge because it would weaken um, their their position on the whole existence of the border force and their whole border policies. In fact, that's why they've been going on about how all these Sri Lankan boats that were apparently haven't been stopped and that's what we're going to... Um, we're going to be um, putting ourselves into if we let this family, fr- if we allow this family to stay in Australia. Hmm. Yes, the same old xenophobia that we've yeah. seen for a couple of decades. Mm. And um, yeah, I guess another another thing is. Um, you know, Peter Dutton has been implicated in, in using his ministerial power to free French um, au pairs. Um, the fact that he can't even show even an ounce of compassion um, for this family is just, I think, ludicrous and um, just indicative of, of, you know, where, where, what, whose side Peter Dutton is on. <laughs> hmm. um, now, I guess, um, in terms, actually, wanted to shift the conversation a bit in terms of talking about um, unlikely allies. Um, but we're going into sort of the climate strike, and this is an article written by Pip Hinman um, in Green Left Weekly. Um, and it's talking about um, how the climate strike is winning unlikely allies as banks, IT firms and unis come on board. And so a number, a bit of examples on this um, that, you know, exp- initiated by school students to demand serious action on the climate emergency, the strike has gained support from unlikely quarters, including tech companies, university administrations and even big four banks. Um, so examples include tech company uh, Atlasan on September the 3rd publicly encouraged its 3,500 3, employees to join the strike. Um, billionaire co-founder Mike Cannon of Set Australia had no credible client policy whatsoever and urged other corporations to do the same. And then there's other companies um, include there's um, there's bank the, the big four banks etc. All and universities such as University of Technology Sydney and University of New South Wales. And I'm also being tipped that we should see an announcement from University of Melbourne soon what, that they will support the strike. But um, that's not completely confirmed yet. Um, but we're hoping it is because there's been a long ongoing campaign to pressure the university administration to put the strike. I think this, I kind of want to raise a few kind of points with this because um, I think it's indicative of how big the climate, uh, massive the climate movement has gone, that companies are starting to feel pressure um, to actually give their workers leave. And in fact, I was at a climate strike meeting recently um, amongst some local residents, and it was sort of interesting that a, a number of people um, were sort of like, you know, saying they were trying to lobby their 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 workplace to get them time off for September the 20th, you know, kind of making the argument that, you know, and this has been a kind of popular argument in the climate movement that, you know, the climate crisis actually does, you know, cross class bound, you know, comes across because, you know, we're all, we're all kind of in this together in terms of having a sustainable palette. But I guess where I would disagree <laughs> with this is I think it's, we can clearly say it's it's good that you know certain companies are coming on board, but these climate um, these companies you know supporting the strike aren't the ones leading the charge. And in fact, a lot of these companies, like for example, Qantas, um, who you know claiming to be you know um, supporters of 
sustainability and climate change are actually contributing mm. to the problem itself, especially, I mean, they're running an airline <laughs> yeah. um, and air, um, emissions from airlines are one of the biggest. And, of course, um, you know, if... Um, Qantas don't pay any taxes either. Yeah. And it's like, well, if you're really serious, Qantas, how about you sink a couple of billion dollars into high-speed rail so people are less reliant on your jets? Yeah. Oh, but that would threaten their their entire business model. So yeah, because these all these companies are, uh, you know, their their whole aim is to make profit under capitalism, uh, and they're they're the ones pushing growth, um, the level of growth. They're the ones pushing the unsustainable kind of practices that gives them profit. Uh, Yeah, they they pretty. I would yeah argue quite strongly that they they have no real they have no real play. I think it's good that they're getting their workers to endorse the strike, but really I think we shouldn't have any illusions that they're they're on the same side as us. Yeah, I think it's it's problematic uh, where they can start, I guess, sponsoring uh, things like the climate strike and starting to kind of get a seat at the table of the politics uh, of the climate because I think that the 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 politics could be quickly watered down by that sort of thing. But insofar as they're happy to endorse it, yeah, sure, good, because that further politically isolates fossil capital and makes their demands for new coal-fired power and free rail infrastructure for Stoppadani and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think the more fossil capital can get pushed into a corner, good, but I, I, I agree with what you're saying that it's it's problematic if... if uh, so-called woke corporations want to try and get a seat at the table of, um, you know, organising these protests or try and sponsor their way onto the onto the table, as it were. Uh, I've I've got an article at uh, greenleft.org.au as well. It's called 21 Ideas for a Just Transition," and uh, yeah, have a have a geese at that one. I think. Uh, there's tended to be a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a simplistic idea that oh, we'll just get the coal miners to get out of the coal trucks and get into factories and make wind turbines, and uh, that'll be that, because we need renewable energy and we need to get rid of coal, so let's combine these two things together and have wind turbine and solar factories in coal towns. And it's not a completely bad idea, uh, but there's a whole bunch of other... There's a whole bunch of other pathways for a just transition, I think, and I reckon it's going to... A potential way forward is for climate activists and the left and progressives in general to be a lot more kind of creative about the potential and and the possibilities for a just transition. Um, Let a thousand flowers bloom. Like, like, Let's have lots of different ideas and, and test them out and see what works. Uh, obviously, we're not going to we're not going to get this sort of stuff happening until we we have more massive climate protests and we force governments to sink a you know billions of dollars into a just transition. But I do think that it's worth um, talking about the possibilities for a just transition and trying to look at look at what we can do and. and yeah, put a bit more thought into concrete proposals for a just transition uh, as a a bit of a way forward. And Mm. then once we can win some funding for that, I think it's inevitable 
that the the coal mining union would be forced to kind of come on board. At the moment, I think there's a sense in some coal communities that, oh, yeah, just transition, that's just some hippie shit, it's not realistic, it's not going to happen. I, I don't agree with that position, but I can sort of see where people are coming from. These are fairly small towns, Singleton in the Hunter Valleys, but a population, I think, of maybe 20,000 people. Musselbrook has a population, I think, of 12,000 people. Um, you know, Morwell, the Latrobe Valley, these are fairly small regional towns. They've got very high unemployment rates, and they feel, they legitimately feel, I think, locked out of political decision-making at a federal level. They feel fairly voiceless, and I don't think that a significant level of trust has been established with... um, kind of activist communities in the cities and these little communities who are pretty reliant on coal for employment, for for creating some jobs in those otherwise fairly, uh, not destitute, but, but towns that have got pretty minimal other options outside of coal for work. So I can see why, um, I can see why it's the temptation to say, no, no, coal is our only hope for employment in these parts of the world and this just transition stuff is some hippie bullshit. I can mm. kind of see where people are coming from with that. I still think it's uh, mm, opportunism from the mining union in particular. Mm. And it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy because if those communities and, and if the mining union really put the foot down and said, look, we will support a just transition... If, if there is a proper transition package put forward, um, that would be a really powerful thing and it would, would energise people in the cities to mm. further push for that. Mm. So it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation. Uh, but, yeah, I think yeah. if we're in the cities talking more about a just transition and what the different possibilities could be, that, that's... Yeah, and I think, I mean, guess the main kind of... Um, one of the main things I think um, that should be made around, especially in terms of concrete demands to the climate movement, is we cannot actually, um, despite, you know, um, the propaganda from, you know, the capitalist classes and businesses, we cannot actually rely on the market to actually address any of this. Um, It's going to have to require some kind of um, government intervention or at least some kind of form of, you know, a planned economy. Um, It has to need to to facilitate facilitate this um, because um, one of the interesting things about the current status of the mining industry as it is is there's not necessarily much of a future in terms of jobs because as in within that industry because the capitalists are you know trying to drive down costs of production um, driving down costs um, to produce um, those jobs are increasingly become becoming automated Um, and in fact um, most of the jobs um, in mines is actually in the construction of the mine itself Mm. um, and not actually in the maintaining of it which is going to be more a lot of that work is going to be automated so basically you know essentially for a the Adani coal mine. Most of the work is going to be um, the jobs are going to be for um, are going to be for work that's probably only going to last as long as it, as the work it takes to, to actually make the mine, and that's not that's not a sustainable path forward. Um, that's not, um, and of course even even so, 
even if um, automation happens under sort of planned economies, uh, a planned sort of economy can actually, you know, adjust for this and not actually completely leave workers behind. In fact, there could be... Because under um, in the age of automation, there's always the case that actually... You know, that makes an argument that, you know, we could have shorter working hours for the same amount of work and actually still be able to employ the same amount of people in, in meaningful work. But mm. instead, they won't have to work like a full 40-hour hour days and can actually work 20 hours. Mm. Yeah, because the robots are taking over and doing a bunch of the work for us. Mm. Yeah, Jetsons style. Mm. Yeah, I, I think um, yeah, economic planning is essential because if you look at Say you have a transition and a key part of it is uh, electric vehicle manufacturing or renewable energy manufacturing. Actually, the most logical and and sort of, I guess, from a purely financial and and economic and technical basis, the most logical places to do that is in the big cities where you already have a manufacturing base. You want to have your wind turbine factory next door to the factory that makes the little pressed metal parts and the silicon and the circuit boards and stuff so that you can you can cluster those things together so to have renewable energy manufacturing in a pure market sense that they're, they're not going to locate those factories in coal towns so that's absolutely right economic planning is essential to intentionally position these alternative industries in coal mining uh, towns or towns that have historically been reliant on coal. Mm. So there you go. I yeah. might just play a quick couple of announcements and keep rolling forward. This is Irene Bolger, former Secretary of the Nurses Federation in Victoria. Throughout the nurses' dispute in 1986, and the waterfront dispute in 1998, 3CR was always there, broadcasting the voices of workers in struggle. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, and we're broadcasting live from the Bay to Chicken Strike here in Melbourne. We've just seen all of the thousands of nurses walk through to their meeting, and people from different unions showing their solidarity. 3CR, radio for the workers, by the workers, since 1976. Three CR broadcasters present over a hundred radio programs every week, including a diverse range of community language shows. Come smarter than a Three CR community radio. Please subscribe now. Tista meuna ila ila Three CR community radio araja al istrakel an. Ningal ungalin samuha vanoli Three CRi kertu kondir kondirikal. Vinre vinayengal. Están escuchando Radio Comunitaria 3CR. Suscríbete ahora. Metsukketsek Radio y Gairanin, Horatanguda Melbumi Hai Kaotin, Hima Artsanakrevetsek Ipertrisiari Antam. Support the station that gives your community a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. I just think that it's ironic that the state of Victoria want to treaty with Aboriginal people but have no issue in destroying our sacred sites. War is devastating on the environment. In peacetime, the military is a huge user of fossil fuels, a huge driver of nuclear energy and ultimately the architect of nuclear weapons. 
Subscribe to 3CR in 2019, fighting for social justice and environmental change. And to all the people that are so afraid of the solutions to climate change that they choose to live in denial instead, the current solutions to the climate emergency are much easier to cope with than the outcomes that will come if we don't. Feed Radical Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Follow, follow the sun in which way the wind blows. Alrighty, welcome back. You're listening to uh, 3CR and... On the phone, we have uh, Hassan from Justice for Refugees. Welcome, Hassan. Uh, whoops, I will just check that. Oh, sorry, uh, Hassan, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Good morning. Ah, good morning. Yeah. Um, would you just be able to start by telling us a bit about yourself and how you became involved in campaigning for the rights of refugees and asylum seekers? Uh, my name is Hassan. Uh, I'm born uh, in Kuwait. So I'm settled in Kuwait. Um, in my country, I don't have any rights. Um, actually, I can't apply to citizenship in Kuwait, and I don't have to uh, passport to traveling, not any Medicare, not even driving license. So I did protest in Kuwait against the government about their policies. And, you know, because of course, it's no freedom, and they, they put me in the jail for 40 days. Uh, you know, with the jail, with the harm and the stuff, and it, it's very, very bad experience. Actually, I tried to live quick because my life is um, not safe. Hmm. I came to Australia. I, I came to Australia by boat because this is what I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, I don't have any passport, so I have to come by boat because I don't have any other choice. Hmm. Um, yeah, and actually when I arrived for the Australia, um, they, uh, I came 2012, and they gave me a bridging visa, public class 050. What's that? Uh, they make our sign for the behavior. So this means if you have even traffic fine, they say, they told us, we're going to send you guys back, you know, or we're going to send you guys for the uh, Naro and Babylonia. So, you know, it's, um, another thing is no right to study and no right to traveling, no right even to working, no right, and um, they don't give our, our health card and not any center link. So they just pay for us. Um, it's called SRSS, so this is the, um, the immigration paper at 350 fortnightly. Mm. And, you know, it's, 
350, it, it's, it's hard to build yourself. It's hard to do anything. Hmm. Anyway, after that, I, um, I went for the free English class. I tried to study. And they said for me, no, you can't study because your visa granted. Not, uh, uh, you know, not, um, it's, you know, that's next year's study. Anyway, uh, I said to unlock the situation until 2015. Hmm. Um, yeah, so after that, you know, the government changed the um, new law. It's uh, called... Um, the first flight, the policy, the new policy. So, any people for this policy arriving by boat, there was not long enough to be allowed to access the standard for the refugee, for the termination process. So, the system is uh, now that the first flight is permission for and just will be uh, waiting more seven years, you know. So it's it's not any result to we're just waiting seven years without seeing our family, without seeing our kids, and we had a lot of people had first depression because you know not hope, not any future, and not any education. This is the issue is, and this is the problem is. Hmm. And now we said it's enough. We have to stand together. And we have to, against this, this law, and we have to change it. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, this week, the case of the Tamil family of four born for, uh, from Biloela has been in the news. Uh, with yeah. the present parents, Priya and Nadez, and their Australian-born children, uh, Sarunika and Kupika, facing deportation to Sri Lanka. How many other uh, refugees and asylum seekers around the country are in a similar situation to what you've just talked about, where they have no rights, not allowed to work, not allowed to study, don't have access to welfare, and could be deported back to danger uh, at any time? Okay. Um, actually, we have more than 10,000 people. They are rejected, rejected. And uh, same the situation. And I heard before two days ago, um, uh, the Prime Minister Scott Nelson, he said, uh, we have 6,000 people, we're going to send them back. So actually the number is more for 6,000. It's more for 10,000 people because I have a lot of contact with our community and another community as well. Mm. So there, there is more than 10,000. Um, I have to mention something that's very important. Um, you know, when they reject someone, they take the Medicare from them and... And, uh, you know, no health card and everything. Just before three months, uh, I lost my friend. Actually, uh, he, he's had cancer. And after that, he don't have any money to treat himself because already they reject him and they take the Medicare from him. So the problem is he don't have money to pay for the, the, you know, the medicine for himself and he's died before three months. Hmm. So in this same situation, I believe that it's 10,000. And actually, uh, there is kids and born here as well. And there is without, they not have any right to apply for the Australian citizenship. Hmm. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, it's uh, 
disturbing the, the, the way that uh, yeah, refugees and asylum seekers are treated as total second-class citizens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so author Thomas Keneally, who wrote Schindler's Ark, has recently compared Australia's refugee policy to the lead-up to the Holocaust. Uh, it's really disturbing and distressing watching the Australian government crushing people's lives year after year. How do we maintain hope as we keep fighting these bastards? Actually, I think hope they, uh, they should be um, merciful and humanity regarding for the refugees. And, you know, it's they have to understand we don't need anything, just we need the mercy and we need the humanity. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so you're not asking for for much, just to be treated like every, exactly. everyone else in this country. It's not a huge exactly. ask. Exactly, this is what we need. We don't need anything, just we need, like, these guys accept our, like, a refugee, and you give our the three years or four, five years, uh, you know, and some people are rejected. Okay, uh, just honestly, if you give me three years or five years visa and you accept me like a refugee, after that you're gonna make it again another three years or another five years. And the, the ridiculous thing is, if just one day this um, it's um, you know it's um, expire the visa and you not apply, they can they're gonna cancel your visa and your case is gonna be uh, rejected as well and you not have any life. So this is unfair, you know, it's, it's unfair. Hmm. Just we need humanity. We just ask for something. We, we, we come for the Australia because the Australia, the big mom, you know, the kind mom and the kind people. Hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's disturbing for me uh, watching, uh, and I know for other refugee activists, but I imagine it's, it's uh, all the more disturbing for someone like yourself who is an actual asylum seeker who's come here, who's been subjected to all this, to, to watch this happening. Um, but, but, but I guess there is hope in the fact that it's actually not that hard to change the, the rules around this. Um, what do you think is the long-term strategy to win full rights for, for refugees to live, work, study in Australia and get these horrible camps permanently shut down? Um, actually, we hope all the problem is be solved as soon as possible. Uh, but our priority now is, um, you know, it's just the fast track policy and, uh, you know, and save uh, another families or people to, you know, for the, the for the depreciation. So we don't we don't want anyone to go back for the country because honestly. It's not safe for them, you know. It, it, it's very hard. Hmm. It's very hard to do if they go back. It, it's not safe for their life. Now we have to stop the, the fast track policy. Because if they stop the fast track policy, everything is going to become normal. Same like before 2012. Everyone can apply for the, the permanent protection visa and they're going to get it. Hmm. But from the fast track, we have to today, today we have to stop this. Um, now, can you tell us a bit about this new group that you're a part of called Justice for Refugees? Yes. So, we are 
our movement uh, called Justice for Refugee um, established in 2000, um, uh, actually August 2019. Um, we same person we protest in the Canberra at um, 29, 29th uh, July and um, and the Sydney as well, 12th of August. We are living in Australia for more than seven years uh, under um, a new second asylum policy known as it's calling past uh, uh, This is what I mentioned before. Uh, this policy is failed us with unfair assessment process. We don't have right to be permanent protection and not choice to be uh, with our families again. Mm. All the members, they, um, the TDP holder, they uh, actually altogether we are refugee. Uh, we we need you know we organizing to. Um, you know, to stand together and, and you know, we, we stand together to demand, yeah, to demand this, uh, this policy. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, so um, um, I'm Jackie Piano, so go, go uh, ask some questions. Um, so the rally that Justice for Refugees is organising on September 14th is calling for the following um one, end laws that discriminate against asylum seekers living in Australia. Two, reinstate a fair process for um, yep. with permanent protection visa. And three, allow family reunion rights. And can you tell us a bit about each of these kind of free demands and free points? Okay. So, actually, um, for the first point, what about the new policy? We have to, we have to stop that, you know, CB visa and the shape having uh, protection visa, the three years and five years. So this is um, what I said before. If you accept me as a refugee and you give me the visa three years or five years, why you not give me the permanent visa? Hmm. Why, you ba- why are you bashing me some like this? It's enough. Seriously, it's enough seven years. Hmm. It's enough. We, we, we had without our keys for seven or eight years. If no one can imagine that, it's very hard, seriously. We, we're not this person, we're not bad, we're not criminal. We, we don't have any problem, you know, it's not our choice to be, be, be a refugee, you know. So another one is, you know, for, for the, exactly the, another one for the process for the uh, permanent protection visa and allow the family uh reunion together because if from our visa condition we can't um, we can't apply to bring our kids you know because we have to have the permanent visa to apply bring our family so I think it's it's, it's, it's time to end the fast track policy hmm. and yeah so yeah, so it's it's very hard for us, and seriously, we we stuck and we can't do nothing, and we have a lot of people have uh, you know mental health problems just because they're suffering and they can't even working because we have people as well they can't working and they're homeless just because this issue. Um, now, honestly, when I received my visa before just two years, now I'm self-employed. I built myself. I'm working, I'm taxpayer, and everything is okay. And I try to build Australia. 
Hmm. So, you know, it's we just we don't need we don't ask for something big. Just hmm. we need the humanity. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I guess the last question um, is: Can you tell us the details of the rally and how listeners can get involved and help promote the rally? Uh, actually, the rally is going to be 14 of uh, uh, September. It's 11 o'clock, uh, front uh, library. Um, it's a lot of community Australians coming with us. Um, actually, for the green leader, uh, green leader as well, Mr. Rich is going to come. And from um, uh, the library, she's going to go. I invite her, and she'll have big kind, uh, you know, big, big heart kind um, name, Jeet. She's going to come as well. And a lot of community um, asylum seekers are going to come with us. And, um, um, you know, uh, refugee action and refugee council, a lot of Australian people, the tunnel are going to come with us. Everyone is going to come with us. And I'm, I'm pleased I'm asking everyone standing with us because just we need the mercy and humanity. We don't need nothing. Just this is what we need. Hmm. And I, I believe that, and I believe that if we're standing together, it's, we're going to change this policy. Hmm. Because seriously, it's very hard. If, if, if I'm going to talk about, I'm not going to talk about myself, but I, I missed my dad, and he passed away before two years without I am seeing him, without I am saying for him goodbye. And it, it's very hard. It's seriously very hard. As a human, it's very hard. We're not asking for something big. Hmm. So please just fun with us and help us. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, um, yeah, it's uh, keep up the great work. It's good to see you're uh, leading the charge on this. And, uh, yeah, I think it's actually a, a refreshing perspective. People get weighed down by this debate, and it is really disturbing to see how the Australian government is treating refugees and asylum seekers. But I think that's really good, this point you make, that it's actually it's so easy to, to change things it's not a huge ask <laughs> refugees and asylum seekers are quite capable of, of supporting themselves and just becoming part of the community it's not it's not a big thing that needs to happen all right um thanks heaps for for speaking with us this morning hassan thank you very much and thank you for calling and thank you for everyone thank you for everyone to stand with us word all right uh, see you on uh, september 14 comrade yeah, Thanks. See you on Thanks. September 14. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, yes, uh, Hassan there from Justice for Refugees. All right, we're just going to have a couple of announcements, and then we'll get to the activist calendar. The Australian Plants Expo is a huge native plant fair with displays, books, garden pots, giftware, and activities for children along with talks, demonstrations, workshops, refreshments and door prizes. The Australian Plants Expo, Saturday the 14th and Sunday the 15th of September, 10am to 4pm at the Eltham Community and Reception Centre, 801 Main Road, Eltham. Adults $5, concessions $4 and children free. Contact Australian Plants Society Yarra Yarra via email on apsyarrayarra at gmail.com or call 0430-513-433 for more information. The Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra is a 3CR supporter.
Right, you're, you're, this is Green Left Weekly Radio, um, and now it is the time for the activist calendar. Um, so what's happening today? Um, so the first thing that's happening is Let Them Stay, Court Rally, Don't Deport Priya, Nades and Girls. Um, that's going to be happening at 9am at 305 William Street in Melbourne. So just today at 9am. I uh, highly encourage you to get down there if you can attend. Um, and then from 5pm, there's going to be an Extinction Rebellion Youth um, and Students Action um, called Sw- um, titled Swarm the City. Um, just meet up at 5pm at the State Library. Um, then there'll be a, also happening is a public forum, the issue of Kashmir, um, which is organised by the University of Melbourne Islamic um, Society. And so that's happening at the Priest Theatre FBE at the University of Melbourne. Um, and then the next announcements coming up is on Saturday, there's going to be a rally organised by the Kurdish Democratic House at 4pm. Um, and then from 1 to 3pm, the Student Activist Network will be um, doing some um, banner making from 1, um, 1 to 3pm at the Victorian Trades Hall. And then just getting, trying to get all the different protests that are kind of happening. Um, They'll be on on Saturday, on Sunday, there'll be a film screening of 2040 Moreland. Moreland Council has a vision, goal and a vision for a zero carbon Moreland by 2040. You're invited to this free special um, screening of the innovative film 2040 by award-winning, award-winning filmmaker Damien Gamal. Meet Climate Action Moreland and other sustainability and climate groups. Food available and they'll be at 2pm at the Brunswick Town Hall. Also happening on Wednesday is a public meeting. Anthony Lewinstein reports on the drug war. Like the never-ending war on terror, the drug war is a multi-million dollar industry that won't go down without a fight. Lewinstein's new book explains why. And that happened, that is happening at 7pm, room 1 at the Shreds Hall, 54 Victorian Street, Carlton South, and is hosted by the new international bookshop. There'll also be a public meeting at Thursday, September the 12th, um, Chile Q, um, 1973, Tribute and Memory at 6.30pm at the Trades Hall, 54 Victoria Street, Carton, and it's organised by Chile Solidarity Campaign and Lasnet. There'll be a film screening and public meeting, um, Turkey threatens Rojava revolution. Northern Syria's Kurdish-led um, revolution based on grassroots democracy, feminism, ecology and multiculturalism is under f- immediate threat of invasion by Turkey. Screening of the new documentary Rojava Northern Syria, the Kurds between conflict and democracy, followed by discussion of solidarity work. So that's at 6.30pm for 6.45pm start at the Blue Room, first floor multicultural hub. And it's hosted by Australians for Kurdistan. And on Saturday, September the 14th, um, there'll be a client protest, um, Princess Bridge Block. We'll block Princess Bridge for the day. This is the act of civil disobedience to disrupt um, um, business as usual, um, etc. And um, so that will be happening at 12 p.m. at the Princess Bridge. Um, but there's also going to be a briefing at 9 a.m. But I would highly advise you to check um, Extinction Rebellion's um, Facebook page, or at least a Facebook event, or go into their Action Network to, um, to RSVP for the event. Um, and then there'll be... Also happening will be the Muslim Film Festival from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. at the Backlock Studios, 65 Hag Street in South Bank. And then there'll be a culture and film night, um, Chile Q. 
1973 at 6.30pm at the Shreds 4, 54 Victoria Street, Carton South. And for more info, phone 0413-348-066. And it's organised by the Chile Solidarity Campaign and LASNET. Um, and then other events um, happening is... Let me just look at the um, look at the other. Oh yeah, here. Um, f- f- Thursday, September the nineteenth. Inconvenient empathy. A, shrib- a tribute to Eurydice. Um, and they'll be happening at nine fifteen p.m. at the Shreds Hall. Um, Thursday, September the nineteenth. And then on Friday, September the twentieth, there'll be the Global Climate Strike, um, which will be happening at two p.m. at the Treasury Gardens in the city. And then, yeah, I think that's. Um, Pretty much it in terms of the different. Oh yes, oh, the other event I forgot. Um, oh, apparently I just. Oh, apparently there's also another protest. I just got a message. Um, there's going to be a protest organised by the Kashmir community at 12 p.m. at Federation Square this Saturday. And then the other, um, the other event is just the other event that I forgot to mention is just, sorry, just got, oh yes, sorry, forgot to mention this following this Tuesday, um, there's going to be a a protest in support of the Jabron Tent Embassy at 8 at 30 a.m. outside Parliament House. Just forgot about that event. This Thursday next this week. This Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday, Tuesday. Yep. The yep. 10th, that would be. Yep, the 10th of September. And um, different um, um, migrant groups and others are organising contingents for it. So, yep, it should be quite big. Rad. And, in fact, um, quite recently, last Saturday, there was a 400-strong protest in solidarity in Sydney. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's good to see this solidarity and uh, lots of people getting out to the camp. Long may it remain the case. Alright, on that note, we're just going to play a quick announcement and then we're going to see if we can get uh, Tekba Ahmed Saleh on the phone, who's a visiting activist from Western Sahara. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japarang Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japarang country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. Help FreeCR support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprint dreams, our song run, and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care, and also others The recognition were... of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years, and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shores. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 94198377 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now.
Yes, welcome back. You are on Green Left Radio on 3CR, and on the line we have Tekbir Ahmed Saleh, who is a independence activist from Western Sahara. Welcome, Tekbir. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for having me today. Yeah. Good morning, Tekbar. I guess um, the first question. Um, so, just to give a bit more of background um, on Tekbar, um, she is currently um, visiting um, Australia and doing a bit of a tour around Australia um, to talk a bit about, you know, because she's quite a prominent um, West Sahara, Western Sahara human rights advocate, um, and. Basically, I guess Tekba will to start it off, um, maybe for listeners um, who might not be completely aware of what's happening in Western Sahara, can you give a bit of a background on what's happening in West Sahara? And then maybe we can talk a bit about um, this issue about the United Nations referendum, um, you know, life in the camps and the exploitation of your country. And then maybe we can then talk about um, your upco- the upcoming sort of tour dates um, that you're where you're coming down to Melbourne. Okay, thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. And uh, yeah, Western Sahara is uh, it's called one of the last African colony. Uh, in 19, uh, no, in 1884 was uh, in Berlin conference was given to Spain as a colony. So we've been under the Spanish occupation for more than 100 years. Uh, in 1975, uh, before Spain left the region, giving the people self-determination and giving them the state of uh, decolonization. Uh, instead, they agreed to divide the, the region two halves. Uh, north, they gave to Mor- uh, uh, Morocco, and the south, they gave to Mauritania. So due to this conflict, uh, thousands of Sahrawis fled from the region because of the war to west, uh, southwest of Algeria, when they are settled until now. Uh, the war between Polisari, which is uh, which are the representative of Western Sahara or the government of Western Sahara, and Morocco and Mauritania con- continue. Three years after 1975, Mauritania gave up, uh, accepted peace, and uh, recognized Western Sahara as a country. While Morocco kept the invasion until the south uh, and took the part that Mauritania was controlling, also. Uh, Morocco also built a wall dividing the country in two halves, uh, west and uh, east. The west is controlled by Morocco, we call it now occupied territory, so we divided the region in two halves. We have people, families are living, uh, they can't reach the other because of the wall. Uh, this wall is full of landmines, um, uh, Moroccan uh, army, explosives, and, uh, yeah, it's very dangerous, and it's very long. It's uh, 1,700 uh, uh, miles along the, the land. Uh, so, yes, I came from a refugee camp. Uh, I was born and raised in this refugee camp. So this has happened, like, before my birth, like 10 years before my birth. Uh, so in 1991, uh, UN intervened in the in the situation and the uh, brought a, a peace, a ceasefire agreement up to the uh, organizing a referendum for the people of Western Sahara to choose what they want. Mm. Uh, and and na- so both parties agreed, only Morocco, Moroccan and the Polisario, uh, thinking that, you know, in in one year referendum will be held and the Sahara people will have the right to determine what they want. And then until then, uh, almost 30 years, uh, later, and we are still waiting for that right to be given to us. 
Hmm. Yeah. So, so, so at this stage, what what is sort of the current status of that referendum? If because it, it, it's been, um, has there been any movements from the UN to actually initiate it? They have been, but Morocco has been uh, blocking it because in the beginning they agreed on giving the referendum to Sahrawi people to choose what they want. So basically, independence was like one of their options. And uh, later on, Morocco just changed their mind and said, like, no, we are not giving them independence. If we are offering only autonomy state, and that's against the international law and against what the United Nations has been uh, offering, because they said, like, how can you give autonomy, uh, uh, like autonomy to a region that actually doesn't belong to you? You can give autonomy to a region that belongs to you, like, for example, uh, let's say a part of Morocco that wants to be autonomy from the regime. But Western Sahara doesn't belong to you, so the people have to choose if they want to be under autonomy or if they want actually to be independent. So as long as independent option is, uh, uh, you know, is an option of uh, self-determination, think Morocco always likes to say no. So we just, they, we have almost three uh, UN in the sent to the to the to solve the case or to organize a referendum and they always fail because Morocco block blocking the process supported by French in the Security Council that always vote against any resolution that comes supporting the Sahrawi people self determination. So until now we are just saying you know, they are saying we are not giving anything except uh, autonomy and then we are fighting for that, you know, right to to choose what we want, if we want to be part of Morocco or if we want to to have our country back. Hmm. And what can you tell us about, I guess, in terms of, like, um, what has been um, the sort of situation for, I mean, for someone like you who is current, obviously probably living in... Um, in um, ref- what, what is sort of the situation with the Western Saharan kind of people in terms of dealing with this kind of occupation and what has been the type of international solidarity you received? Mm. So, as you know, I told you earlier that the Sahara people are divided in two halves. So one half is living in the refugee camp and then it's living in very hard conditions like uh, let alone the environment factors or the weather because it's a desert uh, weather. Um, so it can get it can get to 50 Celsius degree over 50 actually in the summer sometimes. So the situation in the camp people they were set like for shorter time or during the war time so they can for example be protected. Uh, and then when the ceasefire came they were like hoping that in one year or two years they would be back home and then they don't have to deal with this. And a lot of, of course, solidarity and everything there is dependent on humanitarian aid. Uh, UNCR is present there, World Food Program, Red Cross. All of them, they are there organizing, you know, providing the food, the water, education. Um, but that's, they thought it's a refugee situation and it won't last for, you know, for long. It will be like for one year, two years, maybe a few years. But now it's over four decades. And uh, they get something called fa- uh, donor fatigue, where people are just, like, just tired of giving, you know, uh, being there for a long time. And then there are so many other refugee crises around the world right now. So we are facing a lot of humanitarian uh, uh, aid cuts in that sense. Uh, let alone that what they are providing is not even good for the health uh, for a, 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 lo- in a, lo- a long run. So it's like it was provided for short-term refugee situation, and we are having the same aid for 
over the years and it, the the health effect on it uh, on the population just like very obvious uh and now the aid has been cut like you know tremendously and people just blaming that the, the conflict has gone for long and you know they are tired of you know supporting and uh, they don't know that we actually our case in the UN hand and we don't have any say in it so we are actually hoping that the international community and people who don't uh, you know donate for the united nations actually pressure United Nations to do something to force Morocco to accept the self-determination that they have promised us uh, since the beginning. Uh, another another thing is the people who are living under uh, occupied territories, which is under the Moroccan authorities, they are very uh, in very basic phases of like human rights abuses. And one of the things that people they don't know that what's happening this to these people. Morocco doesn't allow any international media to enter the region. Uh, so the, what they are doing to them, nobody knows about it. Nobody can report. And now with the younger generation, there are lots of people who are documenting in Facebook, taking pictures of peaceful administrations and when they got beaten up, jailed, uh, abused. And those people also, you know, they are journalists and uh, trying to, you know, trying to bring awareness around the international community and then their community and then their Faces, you know, they are jailed and banished for that right also. Uh, one of the things that encouraging Morocco to do this is, uh, you know, the uh, illegal, um, illegal exploitation or blending of our natural resources. So that's what we call it like ge geopolitical interest. It's now the case that now it's over the international law and over human rights, you know. Um, things people they don't ignore the people they ignore the international law they ignore human rights and they just go after their interests mm. so we are asking the international community that at some point in Western Sahara case if they can just uh, you know let aside the, the geopolitical interests and you know for once you know recognize the international law and the human rights uh, Tekber, I was just interested if you could expand a little bit on the, that question of geopolitics. Uh, what is the okay. Western Sahara economy like and what are those natural resources mm. there? Thank you. Western Sahara is very rich in, in phosphate. And as you know, or as you might know, phosphate is very important or it's essential for agriculture and fertilizers. So uh, the, the world uh, food um, industry, it's, it's depend on it, mm. and also they are they have very rich costs uh, in, in terms of fishery, and um, so Morocco since the beginning, uh, what have actually made Spain to agree with it to to handle it, uh, to handle it uh, the the country the region is to get access to that phosphate, the exploitation of phosphate, and now. A lot of international companies, they were like dealing with Morocco to, to take that, you know, to blend that, uh, that phosphate, regardless of what international law said. Western Sahara is known as, uh, listed in the UN uh, as a region of non-self-governing territory, no, uh, with no administration, you know. So unless that situation is solved, no one has the right to take that resources unless they, you know, they ask the people of Western Sahara their consent, and then also the benefit if they sell that resource, the benefit of it 
the people of Western Sahara will have, you know, a benefit out of it. And this is not happening. We are not asked about if we, if we want, you know, to sell our natural resources or not. We are not asked, we are not getting back any benefit. We are, as I told you, in the refugee camp, we are receiving, humanita- receiving humanitarian aid. In the occupied territories, Sahara was treated as second citizens, so they don't have the right to work, decent jobs, they don't have the right to education, they don't have health infrastructures. And also Morocco has been claiming that they are developing the area, building, you know, the area. And the areas haven't been, nothing has done since, you know, since Spain left. There is no uh, universities. There is no hospitals. There is no obvious thing that actually they are developing the region. So uh, whether they like it or not, every company or country is involved in agreement with Morocco to, uh, to use Western Sahara region. Uh, uh, in phosphate, agriculture, you know, fishery, is helping, indirectly helping with the occupation and the prolonging of the conflict. Whether they like it or not, they are involved. You know, because if, if for example, they stop what they are doing, the agreement with Morocco, on, we are not saying that they, should, should not, they are not allowed to do any uh, economic or any... Um, agreements with Morocco than anything. It just don't include the Western Sahara region. The occupied region don't include it in the contract. And then if they put that kind of pressure on Morocco, I'm sure they will have the Morocco they will face that they have to uh, finally recognize that, you know, the international law apply, human rights apply, and then agree on self-determination to the Sahrawi people. Hmm. Okay, so we're getting a bit low in time now. Um, do you what can you tell us about um, your visit to Melbourne? Um, what events are, are happening up where you will be speaking? I will be speaking in university. Let me get my... I didn't get my... Uh, I will be... Um, I think uh, Leslie will send you... Uh, okay, I have the details here. Yeah. How about I, I just read them out then? <laughs> okay. I'll read them out for you. Um, so, yeah, so Tech B, um, for listeners, is um, going to be coming to Melbourne um, this um, week. And um, the event she's going to be speaking at is on Tuesday, the 10th of September at 6.30, which will be a dinner and fundraiser at North Fitzroy Arms Hotel. Um, so that is going to be at 6.30pm at the North Fitzroy Arms Hotel. And so you can just look at the Try Booking look, um, Try Booking link, um, www.trybooking.com forward slash B-L-E-M-L-A, B-E-M-L-A, or contact Georgia at 0425702975. And that's being put on, supported by Union Aid Abroad. And then on Thursday, September um, 12th, 7.30pm, calling for rights and recognition at the Institute of Post-Colonial Studies. And this is a panel that's going to be featured a variety of different speakers, including Tech B. Um, and they'll be at 78 to 80 Curzon Street in North Melbourne. Anyway, we'll post all the details of these events on our Facebook page um, and also include them on the rundown um, for um, they'll be on, put on the website. Um, so yeah, that's when TechB will be speaking um, on West Sahara. Um, so I guess for TechB, do you have any like final comments you'd like to make before we kind of wrap up? I really just hope that everybody who listening to me today they will have a chance 
uh, to talk to their uh, representatives in the parties and also in the parliament, uh, you know, to, to make Australia a voice in the international community count. So by, you know, standing for the human rights and standing for, you know, international law and, the, you know, self-determination for the people who are looking for, they have been, been waiting for it, like for, you know, over for decades. Absolutely. All Thank right. you. Um, thanks heaps for speaking with us this morning. And, uh, yeah, it's been really illuminating. Thank you very much. All right. Cheers. Um, cheers. Yes, Tekwe, um from uh, Western Sahara. And as we just said, make sure you, you get along either on Tuesday or Thursday evening uh, next week. And, and you can go and see Tekwe speak. And if you have any questions, you can, um, yeah, ask them in, in person. All right, that has been us for another week. Uh, stick around because Beyond Zero Emissions are coming up next. We will catch you next Friday morning. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Brought to you by the Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it is only $10 for the first six issues. Repeats of the show and interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned in to 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. to start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now? 